This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. We are focused this week on the topic of banking. Specifically, where is AI hitting the ground running with banking now? This is part of our AI is Here series, and our guest is Christoph Mackney. He's the head of business operations at Migros Bank. In this episode, you'll learn a few important things. Number one, where is natural language processing finding a fit in banking today? Where are there real deployments out in the world? Christoph speaks about his own experience working in multiple financial organizations, in addition to what he's seeing among his peers. We also have direct advice on where to find the low-hanging fruit for natural language processing, specifically for document processing. So there's a lot of potential possibilities for processing documents and leveraging AI to help save time for paperwork-heavy processes. Chris has some great rules of thumb for being able to boil those down to near-term business opportunities, and I think you'll learn a lot from that. And lastly, towards the end of this episode, we get down to Christoph's ideas for encouraging adoption and lessons learned from real adoption experience. There's a lesson here at the very end of this episode about picking projects that have a certain level of urgency. And Chris makes a great analogy to coronavirus and the adjustments we've needed to make to coronavirus, all this massive shift in terms of the way we work day to day. How can we use that same kind of social energy to encourage us to make the right investments in AI and deploy the systems that are ultimately going to help our business? Sounds like a counterintuitive thing, but Christoph actually makes a pretty darn good argument for it. And I think you'll like that part of the end of this episode. This AI is Here series is brought to you by Samba Nova Systems. To learn more about Samba Nova, listen in at the end of this episode. I'll have a little bit of an outro. This is part of their series focused on AI leaders in the EU. We're speaking to some great examples of AI talent in both the United States and over in Europe, and this is part of our Europe series. So glad to have Christoph back on with us. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Christoph Mackney of Migros Bank here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Christoph, you're, you're mentioning kind of the transition from RPA to smarter RPA. I think many kind of multi-billion dollar financial services orgs have some level of what we could call old-fashioned, if this, then that style robotic process automation somewhere in the organization. What is it starting to look like on your side to see those tools get leveled up with AI and become more smart? What what's are some specific maybe use cases here? Yeah, so generally the use case here is trying to automate the document processes, which is where you get different kind of paper documents from customer, being it for mortgage processes or any kind of credit or financing or account opening or whatever. You always get some paper somewhere. And with the new technology based on OCR and capturing software, you can easily extract data. And the technology is not mature enough that you can have your algorithm understanding the business case, understanding the data and really putting the right data in the right system and checking the quality of the data so that all the standard documents can be processed automatically, which is the current you know, best practice in, uh, within uh, document understanding, which is about trying to get rid of this manual effort to enter the data into a system. Let's just have the robot checking that the right documents are there, depending on your case. And the robot knows about the different types of documents that you need, depending on your concrete case, and helps the uh, 
a customer relationship manager focusing on the relationship the customer and uh, his or her needs yeah and, and there's so many permutations of exactly that you know instances where we need to check for something instances where we need to take a document and then manually extract information yeah. and put it in somewhere because there's so many of those opportunities have you seen banks and maybe some of the organizations you've worked in have a way of prioritizing which of these document heavy workflows you know i imagine we're looking for the volume the amount of time that this process takes yes. i imagine maybe we're looking for the simplicity and the uniformity because we we can't have something that's so absolutely random that even ai can't handle it how do we start to boil down where that smart rpa can add value because it does feel like it's a lot of possibility that's true so you start with the volume that's good and usually depending on your country you start with the national legal documents which are all the same mm. within one country so you know that one identity card will be the same for all the people living in one single country and you start with all the legal stuff that that looks always the same for each country this is the most most simple thing how to start and usually depending on the software that you use these legal documents are pre-trained which means you can deploy an out of the box read out identity cards, salary, checks, and lots of legal documents that most of the customers have to provide in the context of their banking relationship. That's the easiest way. Got it. Okay. So there's some potential low-hanging fruit for people that are tuned in there. And I know that, so RPA, you're definitely seeing a trend of RPA becoming smarter. You're seeing these systems level up in terms of using data, being able to be trained on certain corpuses of information to extract data and input that data, automate some very simple workflows where we have high volumes, where we have very uniform kind of legal formats. That's a strong use case. I know you're also seeing a good deal in the fraud domain. We happen to know whether it's the US, Europe, wherever we are in the world, fraud is certainly an area of AI where AI is making a difference. Where specifically are you seeing fraud actually start to settle in and really be deployed within banks where it's not really hypothetical, where you're able to kind of see it again, make a difference in the business. Yeah, so here there's a transition happening right now from going from a traditional rule-based system into more AI-based system where you kind of train the data based on alerts that you had in the past and you try to train the system so that the new kind of alerts or the new kinds of frauds will be detected automatically. Here right now, you know, I see a combination of both, having strict business rules, which are, which are clear for some, for some cases, which are clear, and training the system to be able to predict in the future if one specific trans- transaction happening in a specific country based on some specific you know parameters is a valid transaction or not. Here, the one important thing for me is to have a customer-friendly process. For example, uh, you can have a case where you sp- spend your vacation on, on an island and you pay with your credit card over there, and the system detects that that is a new pattern, which is not something which is a custom from from your side and just in case the system thinks that it's a wrong transaction you should have the possibility on your mobile to basically unlock the transaction so that uh, even for very strict fraud detection the customer is still managing all the details and can put in one click the confirmation yes it's me that's my transaction everything good so let's try to leverage ai to increase efficiency automation and make a customer friendly process Got it. Okay, cool. So, and I actually, this is kind of a, a useful point for people to tune into because I think it's often assumed, Christoph, that fraud is really a, this kind of back end process mm-hmm. where if we're detecting fraud, it's something we're doing as a bank because we need to make sure we're reducing risk. And 
maybe it would affect the customer if somebody made a fraudulent transaction on their behalf. But I think what many people maybe neglect to think about is the fact that if we can have a seamless process that can check for fraud, we can have payments go through more quickly. We can actually have that show up as a better user experience. And it sounds like what you're seeing yeah. is, is some of that crossover. Yeah, I like to be transparent with the customers, explain what we're doing and offering the possibility for the customer to really see, hold on, what kind of data are processed for me? Can I interact with the bank? Can I can I have some more personalization and, and you know, being transparent and being able to explain what kind of stuff is happening in the background is kind of important and will be even more important in the future for the customers. Yeah, completely agreed. Is uh, particularly, I mean, uh, the use of customer data and so yeah. much else. I mean, in Europe is even more intense here yes. in the United States, and that takes us into yes. actually the topic of Europe. So we'll talk a bit about the future. But you're in Europe. We're focusing on EMEA in, in the series that you're a part of here, and I think it's useful to understand what is different about AI adoption deployment in Europe that you're seeing in the banking world. You're working at one of the largest financial organizations, financial service organizations in Switzerland, which certainly has many, many banks. And you've worked at other organizations too. What's different about AI adoption? What are you guys thinking about there over in Europe? So the first thing is in, in Switzerland, there are already some, some very good universities teaching AI. So there's a good level of understanding of AI and AI capabilities. But of course, within Europe, there are some strong regulations and, and some strong legal frameworks that, that you have to apply and be compliant to. So the main difference for me in the AI approach of, of a project is first, we tend to think about GDPR and data protection by default and by design to, to start with, you know, what kind of data are we allowed to use? And then going into yes. ethics, because you, you might know that uh, Europe is working on, on a draft uh, AI law to, to restrict the usage of AI. So you need to be compliant and work between these two constraints of data protection and, and ethics, which is quite interesting because if you invest the right time, you can leverage that and make a good use of that to really better understand your data, your systems, your processes, and actually have a better uh, landscape of your processes, system data. And uh, it's not so much a restriction. It looks like a restriction and a constraint where you start working with that. But actually, it helps you better manage your stuff and better be in a position where you can explain to the customers exactly what's happening with the data. And that could even help you if you have one system not working, for example, due, due to a cyber attack. If you are well documented in, in the GDPR space, you can uh, have a system where you exactly see system X doesn't answer, data Y is uh, impacted. Let's move on to you know a backup system or to a rollout system where you know exactly where your data is and what's the impact just in case uh, something happens. So there's a bit of work involved here to be sure that all the stuff is properly managed and documented. But once you do the homework, you have really a good overview of, of your capabilities, of the data, of which data you're allowed to use, for which reason. That is basically something which is quite interesting to do. Yeah, well, I, we had an interview with the head of AI at IBM, like, for the whole company, Dr. Seth Dober. And, and we talked about data mm -hmm. governance and how it could be leveraged, um, not simply as kind of a compliance, keeping up with the Joneses thing, or, or in Europe, a, a pretty serious regulatory consideration, but also as a way to sort of 
set the ground so that we can make smarter decisions that are more transparent for the customer. We're more confident with the deployments we make because we know what's happening where. There certainly is is some room for willy-nilliness with with AI systems, how many data sources we're pulling from, what kind of interfaces we're interacting with. And so um, doing the homework, as you said, can set us up to be stronger. I think time will tell, Christoph, in all honesty, as to the customer and economic impact of Europe's approach versus the US. And I do not have that crystal ball right now. But I think given that you're in that ecosystem, you've got to think about how do we use this for good? What are folks doing to prepare and to do that homework? There is no simple playbook hey, here's exactly how banks can get up to speed in terms of Europe's unique compliance laws with AI. What are they doing to level up their knowledge so that they can do the homework with confidence, so that they know they're doing the right kind of groundwork? Yeah, so here? we have some working groups where we try to help each other. And there are some, some European systems which help you come up with a good architecture where you document your different assets of the banks in a way which is graphical, which is visual, where you can put on, you know, some, some management reports based on that. So there's a little bit of methodology involved, system support and working groups where you can learn what's the best way to be compliant with not too much effort. But basically at the end of the day, it's only about each company being in a position to exactly know where are all my data split in the company on which system. And am I allowed to use this data for which purpose? So, you know, at the beginning, it's it's a huge effort. And once you have that, you can really do some fantastic reporting where you exactly know on data attribute level, where's your data, what's your data quality, who's the data owner. And yeah, that that's super interesting once you've done the job. Got it. Okay, got it. So, and when you mention these sort of working groups, are a lot of these working groups simply within individual organizations? Are there maybe regulatory folks from all kinds of banks who go to one place and maybe share what's working for us, what's working for you, that kind of thing. What, what is the definition of a working group? Because I imagine some of our listeners might be wondering, hey, I need to find one of these. What do they look well, like? That's basically be between peers. So you would see between peers, between banks meeting each other and trying to find solutions to make it very pragmatic and very easy. Uh, otherwise, you might spend ages just documenting your stuff and not not moving along. So, uh, and there are, as I said, there are a few system providers providing you some support to be able to to have a super graphical interface where you can really move graphically around your data, your data points, your systems, and 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 make that visual, which which helps uh, if you have like like yeah. hundreds of systems, which is easily the case in a bank. Sure. You need to have some graphical yes. interface, so. You know, in my system, if I put a report in place and, and, and if I try to uh, find which data are processed in which system, I can easily get a metrics 1000 by 1000, right? That's the kind of metrics we are talking about. Super huge. And this is, this isn't something yeah. you can, you can do with Excel. You need some uh, support for that. And there are some yeah. GDPR system in place. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So smart organizations are not only sharing insight between each other to be able to f- explore best practices because as you and I have both addressed, there is no one playbook that we yeah. can go read. Everybody's kind of figuring out how to pull this off. We need to be in touch with our peers to stay ahead sure. of this curve. And potentially, we need some tools to be able to help us track all of this and make this visual because it's important too to be able to measure data. our progress and make this <laughs> stuff clear to, to not, yeah, too yeah. much data to make it clear otherwise. 
last question here in terms of looking to the future. So there's some unique considerations with Europe. You're seeing what smarter companies are doing to kind of stay ahead of these regulatory waves. You did talk about some great current use cases, fraud obviously being very important and how that affects the customer, not just how that affects our backend process. And then also smart RPA. All these document processes, some of them are a little bit more consistent, a little bit more high volume. There's low hanging fruit there. If you think about business leaders in finance who want to take advantage of those use cases, maybe they're not doing a tremendous amount of smart RPA now, they're just doing older RPA, or their fraud systems are still a little bit more kind of if-then kind of rules-based and and not really so much leveled up with AI. Obviously, there's the compliance and GDPR stuff that we just talked about, but what else from an adoption standpoint do you think financial services leaders need to take into account and bear in mind as they try to get the most value from those use cases you've talked about? So as I say different things, the first thing for leaders would be, you know, first of all, to try to understand a little bit better the magic of AI. Actually, there's no magic, but uh, <laughs> not all the leaders are trained to understand that. And sometimes you have some uh, software vendors pitching them with some magic solutions, which uh, which is not super ideal. So, so the first thing is learning about basic stuff for AI. And there are, there are in Switzerland some a good business schools or, or universities where you can have some workshops, five-day boot camp where you can learn yeah, AI right. for leaders. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, having the courage to try out new ways because thanks to AI, you can you can bring on new capabilities and that helps you be more efficient, more innovative, provide better customer service. But for that, you need the courage to make the step because Sometimes it takes some, some courage to, to invest some, some money into something which you cannot control to 100% because the systems are learning and evolving. So, you know, skills, courage, vision, you know, that's basically what leadership is about anyway. Yeah, well, I think you're right. And you're touching on your first point is something we refer to as executive AI fluency, which is very different yeah. than learning to code. It is conceptual grasp of AI. We have, a for those of you tuned in and executive AI fluency is a pretty Googleable term. We have a very simple framework for how we think about that. So, and you had mentioned, Christoph, there are boot camps, there's resources out there where leaders yeah. can gain this kind of more conceptual grasp of what is AI so that it is not magic. Because like you said, it isn't magic. We just need to understand <laughs> what is it capable of, what is it not capable of. So prepare to level up your skills. We would consider that to be pretty much a requirement for leadership. It's very hard to make AI priority decisions without understanding the tech. You listed that first. So obviously that's quite important from you, from your vantage yeah. point. And then yeah. secondly, and I'll just touch on this a little bit deeper before we wrap up here, yeah. you had talked about being able to have the courage. And I think that it really does go hand in hand with the executive AI fluency. The fact of the matter is the way that we've heard it described here, we have a, a guest, Dr. Charles Martin, who's talked about how AI is not IT. In other words, we're, we're building these probabilistic systems where we really don't have certainty that after we spend X amount of time, we're going to have X capability. It really does require yes. a stomach for experimentation, a stomach for being able to, uh, again, experiment as opposed to build some cold, concrete, if-then IT solution. And that is such a big cultural shift. A lot of leaders are fearful to do that because yeah. they don't they don't want to roll the dice when have you seen it make sense for them to to be willing to do so? Because maybe some of them are really courageous people. Some of it might be, you know, their moral fortitude or what have you, but sometimes it's just, they just don't know when it's the right time to be courageous or not. What have you seen as, as good ways of thinking about that? 
So the best way for me is when the pain point is too uh, too high and when basically standard solutions doesn't solve the problem. You know, so so if you want to move from a standard chatbot which, which just answers the opening times of your agency into a real smart chatbot who's able to understand the customer request, process the customer request and so on, there's no way you can develop that with, with a standard uh, rule set. So so if the management wants to go into new capabilities and solve some very advanced problems, at some point, the current uh, way of developing code will not solve the problem. So that's why they will need to jump to something new. So so that's ah. the best way to make the jump when you have no choice. You know, that's, that's it, 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 remember, uh, working from home before COVID was not possible. And over, you know, and, and within one week, everybody works from home because you have no choice. And that's actually the best way to deploy AI once wow. you really want to reach the next level. Yeah, well, I, I think some people know that intuitively, but I actually, I like that as a point because I'm thinking of myself as a VP or a director within a bank, maybe Europe, maybe the United States. It doesn't quite matter. I mean, this applies to any business. If I'm going to do this kind of experimental approach, I need to know it's the right thing to do, but I also need to be considerate about what my boss will think because maybe, maybe my boss doesn't understand AI. So I, I, I feel like there's all these factors that go into somebody's gut making the decision, do we invest or not? But to your point, if it's a critical business mandate and we just do not have the ability for IT to be the, the tool that breaks through, we need to do AI, it feels like that gives us the defensibility that there was no better solution and the forced courage to actually make the leap into AI for something that's high priority. It sounds like that's kind of what you're saying here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's good because you have F, you have really some cases where you need some learning tools. Let me take you one example. A, yeah. A trend which I see in Europe is generally banks try to have some partnerships with insurance companies so that customers can get from one hand all their financial services, banking services, insurance services from one hand, you know, from one app. That's a trend which I see. And you have some countries in Europe where basically every bank is an insurance company. In other countries, they just do partnership. So now you have a customer coming to your bank and you want to be able to offer exactly the insurance products as a cross-selling, which exactly right to the customer right now. I mean, you know, you can program some strict rules if then else, and then the program will always come up with the same boring recommendation for the same customer. Yeah pretty much boring. And after three meetings, the customer will tell you, thank you, but I've reject rejected the <laughs> yeah. offer three times. Yeah. Please forget about me. Or you come up with some nice recommendation engines. You know, similar customers would be interested in that kind of product with that kind of pricing. Maybe that's good for you. If not, that's okay. We'll come up with uh, something more, you know, adapted to you. So there are just new capabilities here. Got it. Okay, cool. So useful to be aware of the tools that are available to you and to some of the approaches that Christoph is seeing for some of the EU leaders that are already making this transition. Christoph, we covered it all today. We talked about the near term. We did get to dive into Europe, which I definitely wanted to do with you on the line. And also, we were able to talk a little bit about the future. I know that's all we have for time, but it's been a pleasure having you back with us, Christoph. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope that the 
coronavirus remote work example was fun for you. I liked that idea. I think using social tact and using the pressures that make us move is when ethically used, I think, probably a good prod to actually get us to move forward with deploying the kind of systems that we need to deploy when it comes to artificial intelligence. So appreciate Christoph sharing some of his experience. Hopefully that was helpful for you all. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, this AI is Here series is brought to you by Samba Nova Systems. And you can learn more about Samba Nova at sambanova.com slash AI dash is dash here. So pretty easy. It's just the way it sounds, sambanova.com slash AI dash is dash here. So big thanks to Samba Nova for sponsoring the series and allowing us free reign to interview great experts and cover great topics. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>